It says there's something you should know. And if you don't know this by now, you, are, you need to know this. Your body was not designed for the sin of this world. It was designed to be the dwelling place of God. That's what it's for. Because Christ, the great redeemer, has redeemed back his creation and restores it back to what it was originally intended for. It is for worship and to know him in a personal way. He says, do you not understand that there's a higher calling? Don't sell yourself short and cheap to all the garbage of the world. And yes, you have freedom. Yes, you have liberty. But you also have a God who's designed you to have relationship with him. And don't give yourself to this when you can give yourself to him. Welcome to Refuge Podcast, a weekly Bible study for young adults at Calvary Chapel, San Juan Capistrano. All right, turn in your Bibles. If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Well, it was D.L. Moody who said that the Bible was not given for our information, but for our transformation. And, uh, but what, what about those, I don't know if you've ever come across an area of, of your life and you're like, well, the Bible doesn't necessarily talk about this kind of situation that I'm in here. What does the Bible have to say about, you know, this? And I have lost all kinds of examples of those things. So I'm just going to use the word things. So you come across something in your life and you're like, what does the Bible say about how to, how to go about, um, say you're having a problem with your boss right now they're on, you're online and you're working online and they're like, you know, on zoom and you're not paying attention. You're whatever you're having tension at work or you're having a problem with a coworker. A lot of times the answer to that, there's clear moral things that the Bible says that we're not to do. Like if, if you come to the Advent group and you're like, man, I just need prayer. And uh, right now it's, it's just crazy at target where I work and uh, should I'm really dealing with like, should I kill my boss? And clearly, there's a moral standard for that, which is, no, thou shalt not murder. Okay? The Bible says not to. It's very very clear. Yeah, this is a clear thing. But how do we, on the other side of that, like, hey, say you are having conflict. Like, how do I deal with it? How do I deal with it as a Christian in a a godly way? Obviously, there, there are clear moral issues that the Bible is very clear on, like thou shalt not murder. Things that are forbidden for us, things that the word of God tells us not to do, things that we're to stay away from, but also those things that are, we're commanded to do also. Like we're, there's things that are forbidden and then there's things that are commanded for us. There's things where God says thou shalt not do like these things. Like these are very clear things. Paul talks about sexual immorality. He's going to talk a a little bit more about that tonight in in the text. But he also, we're given commands in scripture of things that we are supposed to do. Like we ought to do these things. The book of James teaches us, I know it's Hollow's favorite book. The book of James teaches us about two types of sin. There's the sin of commission and the sin of omission. Commission meaning I'm committing sin. I'm doing things that I know that are wrong. And therefore, God's word tells me these things are wrong and I do them anyway. That's a sin of commission. I committed sin. I've committed trespasses against the Lord. But there's also the sin of omission, which is I know the things I ought to do. I know the right thing to do, but I don't do them. That also is sin to my account. 
So there are things in scripture that we're told that are forbidden for us, that we're not to go down, they're harmful to us, they're sinful, but we're also commanded to do certain things and both if we neglect them or we commit them, we commit sin. But what about those areas of life that are, aren't necessarily black and white and they're gray? What about the gray areas of life? Have you ever, um, one of my favorite times of the day is uh, sunset. Not because I like to watch sunsets and cry or anything <laughs> on the beach. But it just seems like it makes, <laughs> sorry, you can just picture me in the back of my car <laughs> with my pumpkin spice latte, you know, or whatever. But it's my favorite part of the day because it seems like everything kind of calms down. I hate early mornings. It's just, I'm not at my best. I, you know, I'm grumpy and I don't really care about anyone or anything. I really just care about myself. But at the end of the day, it kind of seems like everything's kind of culminated. You come to the end and you're like, ah, take a deep breath. As the sun's going down, there's like this peace and truth, especially surfing at, at the end of the day at sunset. It's one of my favorite things to stay out till it gets dark. But one of the things that you realize is that it gets really hard to see, doesn't it? Yeah. We surfed the, uh, the San Clemente Pier in the dark um, a few years ago. And we all put like glow stick necklaces, you know, those glow things. We put them around our neck and we were surfing the pier. And if you look directly at the pier, you could see perfectly. But if you look the other way, you could see nothing. So you'd be going down the line backside and you're, you're pumping and all of a sudden you see this glowing necklace and you're like, ah, and you'd have to move out of the way, okay? But at those times of dusk, I don't know if you're outside, or you're at your house and you're like, man, things are getting hard to see. What do you do? Turn on the lights, right? You flick it. There's no wrong answer to this. You're like, well, me personally, I like candles. You're right? <laughs> you, you turn on the lights, right? So you can see a little clearer. So in, in the areas of life that are gray, what is the Bible, or what are we encouraged to do? We're to turn on the light. What does the Bible say, um, not necessarily in direct coinciding with our situation, but overall, what is the direction in which the Bible gives us? Um, a lot of that confusion that was happening in the church in Corinth had to do with the fact that there was a very accepting and legal culture that they were in. Like prostitution was completely legal and encouraged. And so they're entering into these relationships with prostitutes and Paul's going like, um, that's kind of a problem. They're like, why? It's legal. How many of you ever used that argument? Not with prostitution, obviously. <laughs> But like that argument, like why? Why is it bad? It's legal. Like our courts, our state says it's fine. Why, why not? And then someone, well, you're being legalistic. And the Bible doesn't say directly into that, but whatever. But what is, where's the, the line and what are we trying to get at here? Paul's going to say things like here in verse 12. It says, all things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. In this first verse, there could be two things that are happening here. First of all, Paul's declaring the great freedom or the freedom of the Christian ethic that we have. Like that's a truth that we all love and hold on to. Like we have been set free by the blood of Jesus Christ. Like we have great freedoms. We have liberty in Christ. It's, it's one of the great like crescendos of the gospel is like we have been set free in Christ. And a lot of people love to grab hold of this and say, all things are lawful for me. But it becomes this kind of issue of liberty that becomes license into sin. And total freedom can be absolutely abusive, can it? And so there's a, a balance in all of it. 
But when Paul is declaring, it could be that he's declaring this great freedom of the Christian ethic, that we've been, free, we've been free to participate in anything that is lawful as a Christian. He's announcing the wonderful freedom we've been given in Christ because of Christ Jesus. But he's also, he could be referring, secondly, to a common attitude of the Corinthians. If you read in a couple different translations, it reads a little bit different. In the New Living Translation, it says, you say, I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. In the New uh, International Version, the NIV, it says, I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. So, but you see, there's a, there, all of a sudden, Paul's talking in their own voice. He's using their own words against them. He says, you say that I can do, what does he say? You, you say I'm allowed to do anything I want, right? You say that I have the right to do anything. Perhaps this was the attitude of the Corinthian church, but also so many of us, including myself, I have the right to do anything and whatever I want. I can eat whatever I want. I can go to bed anytime I want. I can drive however I want. I can, you know, my wife and I have a joke that when she asks me to do something, I always tell her, like, don't tell me what to do as I do what she asked me to do. It's just like a joke thing. Like, don't boss me around. But in all of us, it is a joke. We have a great relationship. But as a joke, like, in all of us, there is this rebellion that when we're told to do something, automatically there's pushback. Like, why? Don't tell me what to do. There's rebellion in that. And so when Paul is saying to them, you have this attitude of, I have complete and total freedom. Listen, all of us, a common grace of every mankind is that we all deserve love, right? Every person deserves love. Every person needs community or friendship, relationship, and every person needs freedom. Like those all are, are things that every society needs. When we see people that are oppressed, that don't have the freedom that we have, we go and fight for them, for that freedom. When someone is being um, abused, we fight for them to be loved as they're supposed to. There's, there's something in all of us that those three things must be met, but all of them have to be equal in the tank. If your freedom tank is overflowing, then you lack love and you lack community, don't you? Because in order to have love and have friendship, you have to lit, like, lower this freedom and give of yourself and sacrifice. So our country, what you're seeing, all these things, is freedom is overflowing. Like, I can do whatever I want, whenever I want. I don't need the police. We don't need this. Blah, 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 blah. All this rage that's within us is saying freedom is ultimately what we all want. But in doing so, it's abusive to other people and it harms people. And so each has to be leveled out. Total freedom or, or a, an overflow of freedom is actually harmful to other people. But perhaps this is the attitude that the church had. I can do whatever I want, but Paul makes a really good point. Not everything is helpful, is it? I have freedom tonight that I could go to Costco because I have a Costco membership, elite class, <laughs> and I can buy those amazing chocolate cakes that they sell, and I can pound four of them by myself. Like, I have the freedom to do that, don't I? Don't judge me. I could. And I could sit there in the aisle and I'll pay for them before I leave. And I could just eat all those cakes all by myself. I can do that. I have freedom to do that. But Paul says, is that really going to be a wise choice? Is that going to be helpful to you? Is it something that I want to do? Absolutely. Is it something that I should do? Probably not. 
And this is where the Bible is so good in that it provides wisdom. God says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach. Liberally means that when you're in the line at Chipotle and they say, would you like, would you like guacamole, which is a stupid question? Yes, of course I would. Why do you even have to ask? Just charge me the $2 for all of eternity. And, and that guy who looks at you and he just, he goes down deep in that bowl and just bam on the top and it rises up and it changes the whole shape of your burrito. That is what we call giving liberally. <laughs> it had a point. There was a point to all of that. Okay. When God says, if you need wisdom, I will not withhold that from you. Ask of God who gives to all liberally. Like as much as you need, he will provide wisdom. Now, God's word doesn't specifically tackle the area of me eating four cakes in Costco, but it does talk about self-control. Um, we don't forsake what we don't know of God's word or what the word doesn't say for what we do know. I don't know, well, then what do we do? Uh, Psalm says in Psalm 119, verses 105, the psalmist writes, your word is a lamp to my feet, and a light to my path. So when we don't know what to do or what direction to go, when we come to a gray area in life, as I read God's word, he's going to get me to the next step and he's going to get me in the right direction. As I just read God's word. It's a lamp. And listen, your feet are, are designed to get you from point A to point B. And, and the light that he's talking about would be a lantern. It, would, it was a spot. It would only show you right in front of your feet where the next step would be. And so God's word is he directs us in everything, but directs us step by step, and he points us in the right direction. So what do we do with something that is widely accepted by culture, but the Bible doesn't say it's forbidden or commanded? Well, remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. He says, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. The church is counterculture. In other words, when Jesus says that you're, you're the light of the world in a city that is a light to the rest of these cities, the, what he's explaining is that the church is a city within a city to reach a city. That we're separated from, I know, <laughs> we're separated from the rest. There's counterculture that's happening. That what goes on in here is to look a lot different than what's going on out there. There's in order that we might reach those with the gospel. We're a city in a city set to reach a city. So tonight we want to, from our text, look at four principles to help us navigate liberty. Because the last thing we want to do is abuse our liberty. Verse 12, number one, he says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. So number one, we want to ask ourselves, when you come to something that's gray or the Bible doesn't necessarily say or forbid or command us to do it, will this help me grow in my walk with the Lord? That's what we want to ask it. Will this help me grow in my walk with the Lord? Will this actually cultivate in me godliness in my life? And if it doesn't, then I should probably stay away from it or not go down that road or not go down that path. Corinthians 10, 1 Corinthians 10, 23, Paul later reiterates the same thing. He says, all things are lawful for me, but all, not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, he says, but not all things edify. The idea is that not everything that is available or I'm free to do is actually going to build me up. 
Not everything that I do or not everything that I have the freedom to do is actually gonna cause me to grow in my walk with Jesus. So the question that we ask, some kind of gray thing that we're coming across, some kind of relationship that we're about to enter into, some kind of job that has me working 79,000 hours a week, like is this going to help me grow in my walk with God? Or is it actually something that's gonna tear me down and pull me away? To edify just simply means to build up. Does this build me up? Is this activity going to allow me to walk with Jesus easier? I hear all the time, like, walking with Jesus is hard. It is. But it doesn't have to be as hard as you're making it. Do you know that? Like, you're making it harder on yourself by doing stupid things. And I'm speaking to myself, not someone who's literally in my office crying. I'm like, it's because you're stupid. That's why you're in it. No, but because sometimes we make walking with Jesus an uphill thing where Christ has provided for us everything that we need in God and for godliness. And he says, listen, it can be that easy. It can be that much easier if you will stop putting roadblocks in your own way. Yes, all things are free. All things are lawful. You have freedom. But will this actually cause you to be edified? Or does this have the potential, as he says later in in the next verse, which is our second point, which is, could this take hold of me? Look at what he says. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. A lot of times thinking that we're free, and because I have this freedom in Christ, and I have have this new kind of sense of life that I can lay hold of, uh, of anything that I want, and it doesn't have to be, uh, it doesn't have to be, you know, I have power over it. We can lay hold of it. I can take hold of it myself. I have power over it. I have freedom. And in fact, it does have the power to control me. And that's why sometimes I think there's this, there's this pushback from maybe an older generation. I don't know if you've ever. Uh, when I got a tattoo on my finger, like one little tattoo, my mom flipped. She's like, only sailors get tattoos. I'm like, mom, I'm not a sailor. Like, I truly love Jesus. And this is one, it's an L for my wife. Like, I lost my wedding ring. And that's why I got this. Because I didn't want to lose my, you know, finger. So I know I won't lose this. So I'm like, I'm married. So I just always know, right? She's, oh my gosh, got a tattoo. My brother is covered in tattoos. But when I got a tattoo, (laughs) God forbid, and like, you know, whatever. Or when I wanted to dye my hair as a teenager, my mom's like, only these kinds of people dye their hair. And you're like, dude, come on, mom. Like, frosted tips are in. (laughs) I'm the only kid at school without Or whatever. (laughs) We got off track there. Hold on. A lot of times we have this pushback from an older generation that's like, hey, don't get into that. We find it legalistic, but actually sometimes it's just wise. Because they've done things and they've gone down paths and they're saying, don't, don't even get involved. Where that led me is a bad place to go. And we can see it as like, oh man, you're ruining my fun. And oh, what do you know, old man or old woman? And really they're saying, listen, listen to me. Like, that's no joke. Like, don't go down that path. Like, don't even, don't even mess around anywhere close to that. Um, because of, of what it could do. It could lay hold of us. The Bible always points us to develop healthy habits, but we are prone to form unhealthy habits, right? It's just part of who we are. Look what Paul says in verse 14. He says, and God both raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. 
Paul makes the point that there is a power that is available to all of us. It's the same power that raised Christ from the dead is the same power that regenerated the soul of every believer, but also it is available to us to help us to live a life that glorifies God. So he says, don't come under the power of something. Realize that God has given you power that raised Christ from the dead to overcome sin and something that could ensnare you. Paul said later, or if you believe that he wrote the book of Hebrews, which he might have, we don't know. But he says, let us cast off every weight and everything that, that would slow us down so that we might run our race fully for the Lord. And if you've ever watched competitive track, which I'm sure all of you have, it's just so exciting to watch them run around in circles for like, it's like the equivalent of NASCAR, but slower. Just, you know, the one where it's just, they're going. And the guys who are long distance, they have the, the tiniest little shorts and they're pretty much a Speedo and their tank top weighs like nothing. And even like the, the, the little number is a piece of paper that's been stapled to them and they have like no hair and no leg, you know, no leg hair and they're just like, woo, streamline. Why? Because it helps them run faster. Now, if you put that guy next to me, who do you think is going to win in a hundred yard, you know, walk like he's gonna win you don't show up to a race wearing you know doc martin boots and you're like yeah that's right these boots are made for walking and um and i just bought them and they're super cool i really want to wear them or whatever there's a reason paul looks at a runner or a racer and he says we got to shed all that off because it will ensnare you it can entangle it will and can trip you up it may not even be a bad thing it could just be a thing that we worship and becomes an idol to us. You know, the Bible says that, the, that money is the root of all kinds of evil. Money's amoral, right? If you have money in your pocket, you're blessed to have that in your pocket tonight. You know, God bless you. It's not evil in your pocket. You're like, these 20s are from the devil. Or let's be honest, these fives are from the devil. <laughs> you know? Money's amoral. But what it has done to people the love of it, the pursuit of it, the intoxication of it, it's evil. It can produce all kinds of different evil. And that's the warning. Yes, you have freedom, but be aware of what's, uh, what is after you in the world. The world desires to form you into its mold. And these things do have power and they can come in and they can take hold of us all the while we think we can control it and, the, and we lose control. And God's word tells us there's a power that's available to you to live a different kind of life. Be under that power. The same power that raised Christ from the dead. The baptism of the Holy Spirit, the empowering of the Holy Spirit, he says. There are things that will suppress, sometimes, the power of God in our lives. It will suppress the power of God in our life. And what helps us to be a conduit of the power of God is three things. Number one is repentance. Repentance basically means that if you're doing something you shouldn't, stop doing it. As, you know, I went to Bible college to learn that. Like, it, that's all it means. Repent means to, if you're doing something you know you shouldn't, the Bible says repent, meaning stop doing that. Turn from it and walk towards the Lord. Stop doing that. If you are doing something that you know you shouldn't do, stop doing it. But also, if there's something that you should be doing, but you're ignoring it, I mean, like, I haven't been reading my Bible, I haven't been praying, I haven't been worshiping, I haven't been spending time with the Lord. And you're like, well, why do you think that you lack power in your life? You're not connected to the source. 
Why do you think that you lack power? Why do you think like, God, I just want your power in my life, but you won't do the things that God has said. This is how you obtain it. This is how you receive it. You're like, I just don't get it. God's not real. It's because we need to repent. Come back and do the things which God has told us to do and forsake the things that God has told us not to do. The second thing is we need to worship. Worship. Time spent thinking, worship is time spent thinking about Jesus. Attention on Jesus and not ourselves. I don't know if you knew this, but worship is not about you. Right? That's why we love it so much. Oh, I love it so much. It's because I don't have to think about myself for the next 30 minutes. All I want to do is think about Jesus. That's why worship is so refreshing. Do you know that? Because it gets your eyes off yourself and you're like, whew, I feel so much less anxiety and so much less stress. I can't believe, I wonder why. You're not thinking about yourself. So when you're like, I don't like that song, it's not for you. <laughs> Jesus is like, could you play a new one? Have you heard the new record? Like, come on. God never gets tired of worship. He never gets tired of those songs. And when we're like, I don't like this one, guess what? It's not for you. So, so when the band is up here playing, Zach, when the band is up here playing, right? This is not for us. This is, this is not for you to be like, that was, you are so good. Zach doesn't play till his fingers bleed for you, right? So that you would be an impressed. No, he doesn't do that. But he, he doesn't do that so that we, we're here like, wow, that was amazing. I can't wait to watch worship again. This is the band. We're the choir. He's the audience. And the more that we understand that when we repent and we come into the house of God to worship him, we spend more time putting our attention on him and not ourselves. And that's why it is so refreshing. And it destroys any blockage in which would stop the power of God in our life. The third one is service. Sometimes, I don't know if you have noticed that if you don't, when it comes to the power of God, like if you don't need it, like he's not gonna give it. So if you're not using it, you're not stepping out and trying. If you're not serving God in some way, why would he need to give it to you? So often in scripture, we read about the heroes of our faith and like you read Hebrews 11 and you're like, man, these guys are radical. Look at the things that God called them to do. When they stepped out, God met them with power to do it. So a blockage often of the power of God in our life is the fact that we just don't do anything. I don't know if you were here a few weeks ago, Pastor John read something from some guy, I think it was Spurgeon from lectures to my students and he just started screaming, do something from the pulpit. And it like shook me to my core, do something. And it was like, like you know when you can see echolocation coming at you and you're like, bruh, do something. And it's true. I think so, so many Christians sit in like their own stewing filth and they're like, I don't understand why God's not empowering me. You're not doing anything. You're not moving forward. You're not trying anything. You're not stepping out in faith. You're not serving the Lord. Therefore, there's a blockage. Okay, so the third thing, right? We want to... Um, when we come to a gray area in our life, we ask, will this draw me closer to the Lord? Could this take hold of me? Does this have power over me? Can it lay hold of me? But also I want to ask it and I want to remember my design. Look at verse 13, what I've been designed for. Foods for the stomach and the stomach for food. Amen? 
Let's praise God and give him worship. Next week, the stomach will be for food and the food will be for the stomach. What is he saying? But God will destroy both, both in them. And you're like, good point, Paul. Food is for the stomach and the stomach is for food. And you're like, <laughs> one, of the weirdest, one of the weirdest scriptures ever. You're like, all right, yeah, totally. This morning in my devos, God really spoke to me in this one verse. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's like, the Greek word for food is the word food, and it just really is meant for the stomach. And you're like, what does this mean? What is the point? And I'm not even gonna sit here and pretend like I read this and I was like, I know exactly what he's talking about. I was like, food and stomachs? Right on. Praise God. What does he mean? We need to remember our design, is what he's saying. He says, food was created for your stomach. Stomach was created for food. And in the same way, our body was not created for sexual immorality, it was created for God. And God made us for him. Remember our design. Remember what God has made us for. In the same way that food was made for the stomach, the stomach for food, even, even in the way that we prepare to eat. Is it, you've, you've, you've come into the house and your mom is just like, come to Come, she's like, I had this, whatever. I don't know where I'm going. My mom is an incredible chef. Hello. All right? That's why this is what's going on here. But when we were growing up, like, she would make just amazing stuff. And we would come in the house, and you could smell it in the whole house. Like, it just, it would permeate through the house. And then it would go out into the backyard. And that's what would call us in, was like the smell of, of bacon and cheese. And you're like, something, something is happening. In, inside of me and your, your mouth fills with saliva and you're like, what's happening? Your body is preparing to receive food. It knows what's happening. In the same way that our body was made for this very thing, for food to be consumed, in the same way our body is made for God. Your body was not designed for this garbage that we've been participating in, he says. Now the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And both, God both raised up in the Lord and will also raise up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? He says there's something you should know. And if you don't know this by now, you, are, you need to know this. Your body was not designed for the sin of this world. It was designed to be the dwelling place of God. That's what it's for. Because Christ, the great redeemer, has redeemed back his creation and restores it back to what it was originally intended for. It is for worship and to know him in a personal way. In verse 15, he says, do you not know that your bodies are the members of Christ? Meaning that we are the appendages of Christ. Paul later develops this idea that Christ is the head of the body, that we are all vitally important in parts of that body. When God wants to work in the world, he uses us and he reaches out through us. He says, do you not understand that there's a higher calling? Don't sell yourself short and cheap to all the garbage of the world. And yes, you have freedom. Yes, you have liberty. But you also have a God who's designed you to have relationship with him. And don't give yourself to this when you can give yourself to him. It's like when you... I'm really bad at... I'm really good at bad illustrations. But if you've ever been surfing for any number of hours, there, you get so hungry... And I remember my friend and I, we took a trestles trip, 
So we went all the way down to Trust. I was living in Costa Mesa. We drove to Trust at 5 a.m. We surfed our brains out till it was like four o'clock in the afternoon. We get out of the water. You truck up that hill and you're like, oh my gosh, why did I do this? This is awful. But then you get in the car and you're like, I'm starving. And of course, being poor, we just started to do what anyone else did. You find the nearest Taco Bell and you just start rummaging through your car for money, right? You're just like, what do I have in my pocket? We had 375. 375 at Taco Bell, you can eat like a king, right? <laughs> You're like, So we're just bean burritoing it for about 10 minutes. And then my wife calls me and says, guess what? My mom and dad want to take us out for steak tonight. I was so full of bean burritos. <laughs> I was like, I, great. I think I got there and had like bread. And I was like, I can't eat. I'm so full. And there's nothing wrong with bean burritos. Bean burritos are great, but they're not steak, are they? No, not at all. Not even close. You could try and make an argument. They're like, well, vegetarianly, like, no, it's not the same. <laughs> great protein benefits. It's not the same thing. One costs 75 cents, one costs $75. You know what I mean? <laughs> like there's a difference. So often we sell ourselves short and give ourselves into things that, yeah, okay, cool. You have liberty to do that but you sell yourself so short of what God has. And that's why, why our desire is not that we would be as close to the world as we possibly can and still go to heaven. It's to be as close as Je to Jesus as we can, to look just like him. That's our desire. And whatever that would, what means for you, and listen, if you're like, I have liberty and I have this, cool. But make sure that you're not using that liberty to abuse other people. Be careful. We're the appendages of Christ. But look what he says, why is this so important? Um, verse 17, but he who is joined to the Lord is one, is one spirit with him. Verse 18, he gives another call, flee sexual immorality. And we defined what sexual immorality was a few weeks, a few weeks ago, if you weren't here. Um, sexual immorality is a, a circle in which Paul has drawn around marriage between a man and a woman. And he says any sexual act outside of this union right here is sexual immorality. So instead of answering every question, well, what about this? What about that? This is a gray area. He's like, hold on one second. Let me just, right here. If it doesn't happen in between, <laughs> with these two, like, it's sexual immorality. Just so we, you know, clear everything up here. And so the desire and what Paul says is flee. The idea is to run as fast as you can. The highway, there's a verse that says the highway of the righteous, meaning not like this footpath that you have to skate through, the autobahn of the righteous, meaning you are going as fast as you can is to flee and run from sin. To run from it, to abstain from it, to get away from it. He says, flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body. But he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. He says, you're actually, it's harming yourself in such a gnarly way. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit in whom you, or sorry, who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? Why? The last thing we need to ask ourselves when it comes to a gray area is, will this defile the temple of God? Does this defile his temple? Because he says, why are we his temple? Because we were bought. Earlier in our text, early in our study of 1 Corinthians, the Bible tells us that we are God's building. We are his garden and we are his building in which he desires to fill with his presence. 
The temple was a place dedicated to the worship, to the holiness of God. It was a place to, to where the presence of God would be. And he says, this is who you are now. Right? It's like he grabs them by the shoulder. He says, do you not know that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit? That you are a part of the body of Christ. So why are you joining yourself to these things? It's like what Peter says, be holy, for I am holy. There's a call for holiness as we walk with Jesus. But listen, it's not done in our own power, is it? It's not like you waking up on, on Friday morning, you're like, here we go, holiness day. Watch, sorry, that was, I taught junior high last night, so I'm a little pumped up. Um, it's holiness time. Like, watch me be holy today. Okay? It's, like, it's not that easy, is it? Otherwise, everyone would do it. Holiness is a call of God. It's a high calling. It's difficult, but we are not doing it in our own strength. We've been given the power of God, which is the same power that raised the Lord up and will also raise us up. It's that power. God lives in our hearts. That's why he says, do you not know that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit? God dwells in you. You are not your own. Why am I not my own? For you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. If you don't have that highlighted or, or memorized, make sure you get this one. When he says you're not your own, how do you... You're not your own. How are we not our own? We were bought at a price. Not with, not, the Bible tells us in the book of Romans, in verse 31, Romans 8, 31, we were not bought silver and gold, but we were bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. I remember my youngest son, oh no, my oldest son, excuse me. I have four children. My oldest son was jumping on rocks in front of our house. I was supposed to be watching him and I fell asleep. Um, I fell asleep with our daughter, okay, who was just born. So she, I was taking care of her and the other one, and I fell asleep. Um, my bad. And he was jumping on the rocks, and all of a sudden, my wife comes running in the house, and she's holding him, and he's, like, bleeding like crazy from his mouth. He had fallen and hit his tooth on a rock and cracked it, like, right at the center, and he's like, ah! So we took him to the dentist, and they were like, we're going to have to put him under so that we can extract the tooth. And we thought, like, maybe it would just stay in there, you know, like, you know, you just like have high hopes. You're like, maybe we just don't touch it. It'll heal itself like Wolverine, you know, like just don't touch it. And it was just nasty dangling things. We, you're like, all right, we got to take care of this. And my wife's like, I don't know if I can. I'm like, I got it. Like, it's not a big deal. Like I'll take him. I got this all covered. So I had to teach that night. It was a Friday night. I was teaching Romans for our young adults group. And so I, had my Bible there in the waiting room, and I remember they came out to give him the shot, and he was going to fall asleep. And I was like, I, no big deal. I'm going in this all cold, like it's whatever. And I remember they stick him in the arm, and he's like, eh. And he just like goes unconscious in my arms, and I'm like, oh my God, they killed him. <laughs> they killed my son. You know, like, we've never done this before, so I'm like, what did you do? Like, and he's like, okay, give him to me. And I'm like, no. You know, I'm like, you just want me to hand him to you. He's like, yeah, just hand him to me. I'm going to take him back. And I'm like, so I just hand him my kid. And he walks him in the back room, like takes the corner. And I'm like, I can't see him. They're like, no, it's best if you stay back here. And I'm like, I'm losing my mind, okay? And when I cry, I look like a, like a herniated walrus. So I turn my back to the receptionist and I'm losing it, like just weeping uncontrollably, like 
violently (laughs) shaking and she's like, oh, dad. And I'm like, shut up, (laughs) shut up. You know, like just leave me alone. So I'm like, all right, shake it off, shake it off. Like, whew, man, this is a man moment. Like we're just gonna just deal with this. So I sit down, I'm teaching that night. I open my Bible to Romans 8.31 and it says, you were not redeemed flesh and blood or you were not redeemed by uh, uh, silver and gold but you were redeemed by the, the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And it reminded me that God gave his own son. And then I cried even more. <laughs> like we, do, we need to understand what was given for us. You were not bought at some high price and it didn't mean anything that God's like, I have so much money, it doesn't even matter. The price was so high that the price was blood. It was blood and he drained his veins for us and he bought us with his own blood. At that price, he says, this is how we know we are not our own. We belong to him. Therefore, what goes on in this temple, it is his, like it's his. And so I'm dedicated to him. And Paul is helping, hopefully he's helping us and he's helping the Corinthian church understand Like, just do you understand? Do you not know? He uses that phrase over and over and over. Do you not know the richness of what God has given to us? The freedom that we have, yes, but the freedom that we've been given to serve God and love him and draw close to him, not the freedom to continue in sin as we always have. He would later write in Romans chapter six that we've been freed from the power of sin, meaning I don't have to do what sin tells me to do anymore. And so that is this little section of scripture. Man. So yeah, let's pray. Lord, we're so thankful. Oh man. That this is the mistake room and we're allowed to make mistakes and be be idiots. And, And we're so glad that God, you use all different kinds of people But Lord, um, we don't want anything to hinder the work of Jesus in our life. Lord, I don't want anything to hinder the power of God in my life. But Lord, we're so thankful that you love us so much and you are so gracious and so merciful. As simple as was put tonight, that if we're doing something that we're not supposed to do, then you tell us in your word to stop, to turn, to confess, to get right, and we're forgiven to walk in newness of life. Lord, you offer grace. Lord, if we're trapped in some kind of sin that we thought we could handle and now it's, it's become a God, it's become an idol, it's something that we now worship, it's taken up resident in, in, on the throne of our heart in the place where you dwell, in the place where you should be. Lord, forgive us of our sin. God, we, we pray that you would tear that thing down and place yourself upon it. That you might have, again, preeminence in our life. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for the great grace in which you have shown to us. And so, Lord, we pray that we would be a holy people. God, we thank you that our our holiness is not um, something that we can manifest ourselves. It's something that you do in and through us. It's a work from the inside out. And so, Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit, again, would fall in our hearts, would it take up resident, fill us to overflowing, that it might change the way that we live. We love you, Lord. We thank you, God. In Jesus' name, amen.